Well, good morning. Good morning, second service. <laughs> yeah, y'all are even more excited in the first service. Those old people in the first service. It is second service. Welcome to the Springs. If you're visiting, thank you for joining us. My name is Peter. I have the privilege of serving as your pastor, the, the best job ever. And uh, if, you're, if you're visiting, we, again, we want to we wanna say thank you. And there are connections cards, and we want to be able to communicate with you. And uh, so, also, you are coming in right in the middle of our study in the book of Judges. Now, you are into it, like right into the abrupt middle of a very graphic book. Now, if you've been here with us the whole time, I know it's been pretty crazy and graphic, but don't worry, uh, it gets worse. We're going to go from Judges 5 through to 6, 7, 8, 9. We're going to stop for a second, though. I want to just recap, take a few minutes to recap the first five chapters of the book of Judges before we go to chapter 6 and moving forward. So we're in chapter 6, but the first five verses, Israel is on a downward spiral from chapters 1 through 2 down to 5. If you remember back in actually the book of Exodus, or actually back to Genesis, God calls a people out for himself. And then in Exodus, we find these people are in Egypt and they're being enslaved. And God calls them out in Exodus and sets them free and sets them into the promised land. By the time we get to Judges, these people, God's people, are defiling the land of Israel instead of purifying it. And we see that they've totally lost God's viewpoint of who God is and what what he called them to be. All these books and chapters in between Exodus and Judges, they've totally lost the viewpoint of that. And when you lose your viewpoint of, of God's perspective, you lose your way. And they're showing that the only thing worse than oppression and bondage and slavery in Egypt is the bondage of their own sin. Now this is true for your life and mine. Our internal battles and our internal struggles eat all the external things for lunch, right? Your internal things you struggle with. And this is what's going on in Israel. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's like deja vu. It's the third or fourth time that that's mentioned. It's In essence, again, they went back to evil. And it says the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midianites for seven years. As Shadrach preached last week when he gave me a break, I love what he said. He said, sometimes mercy hurts. God just let them go into their own sin and the own consequences of their sin. And he let Midian oppress them. Now, unlike the Canaanites who had oppressed them before when we we read of Deborah and Barak, the Midianites didn't just want to overpower them and, and govern and control them politically. They wanted to ravage them economically. And they would go and plunder their crops and take all of their food. It actually drove Israel into the mountains to hide under shelters, to, to hoard their food. And they cried out, verse 7, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet. You see, they were crying out for a savior, but God gave them a sermon. In essence, hey, we've been here before. He reminds them, this prophet reminds them, remember, God rescued you from Israel or from Egypt, and you are to be a holy people, but you're sinning. They wanted a savior, but they got a sermon. 
I love what Tim Keller, Tim Keller is a, a, a pastor and an author, and he writes a commentary on Judges. He says, God sends a prophet to convict people of their sin before he sends another judge to rescue them from their sin because the people are regretful but not repentant. Man, that'll go hard when you think about your life. How often have you felt bad about your circumstances, but really you're just regretful instead of repentant? That's so my life. Regret is when you feel bad about what you've lost. Repentance is when you feel something about how you've affected the very heart of God. So God sends a, a sermon to convict their hearts, And in a place seemingly of repentance and contrition, their hearts are ready for where we see young Gideon, fearful young Gideon, hiding in the mountains in a wine press, hoarding food from the the Midianites. That's where we pick up in verse 11. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please, to honor God's word. We'll We'll start with verses 11 through 16. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. The word of God. Thank you. You all can be seated. Would you pray with me? Jesus, help us. Help us to see your strength, even in our weakness. And help us not to be weakened by our own perceived strength, relying on our own best efforts alone. Amen. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a biographical look at this man, Gideon. This chapter and moving forward the next few chapters, we're going to examine the life of Gideon. We're going to learn as it relates to him what we can learn about our life, about having the strength of faith today. In fact, the strength of faith is the title of the message I want to share with you. The strength of faith. Now, as it relates to Gideon and your life, I want to talk about the strength of faith and all of the subtle and dangerous alternatives to faith that pose as strength. Things that we're used to, things that we think about ourselves that are are wrong, that don't line up with God's word, that pose as strength, and they're not faith. 
Now, as we go through Gideon's life and we draw implications to your life, I want to organize my thoughts uh, in three ways. Thought number one, strengthen your weakness. Number two, weakness in your strength. And finally, salvation in your failure. So number one, strength in your weakness. I'm going to spend most of my time here this morning. Strength in your weakness. You know, one of the main themes of Judges and the whole Bible is this. Strength in your weakness. Because God is strong. One of the big themes of the Bible is God is really big in stuff. He's sovereign. He's bigger than you. He's smarter than you. So when you try to figure out life in your own strength, in your own understanding, it's really not going to work out for you. And that is a classic understatement. God is big. God is powerful. And God is so powerful that he can even use the bad parts of you. He can even use wicked people that are awful and that do evil things in his sight to accomplish his will. He will have his way. He will fulfill his desires even if our hearts are evil and we have weaknesses. He will be strong even in our weaknesses. In fact, flip ahead if you want to go with me real quick to Hebrews that toward the end of the Bible. When the author of Hebrews talks about the judges and even some of these people we know are very flawed in the book of Judges, Samson, who we'll talk about in a few weeks, Gideon. The author of Hebrews talks in chapter 11, his, what we call the hall of faith. Chapter 11, starting with verse 32, it says, And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Well, time won't fail me. I'm going to spend some time on Gideon. He says, Time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, and some of the men that came after the book of Judges. And it says this, who through faith, everyone say, through faith. faith. Thank you. Through faith they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. I love that it says they were made strong out of weakness. God's point in all of the weakness, and weakness is what the the author of of Hebrews says here, but they were made strong out of weakness and evil. Weakness is a nice way of saying it. They were made strong out of wickedness. They were made strong when they couldn't take credit for it. Because God the strong one, is the one who made them strong. That's the theme of Judges. That's the theme of the Bible. When you examine your life, you're not the protagonist of your life. Jesus is. You can be strong in your weakness, though. That's God's plan for your life, just like it's the theme of the Bible and what you read in Judges. Now, the first few chapters of Judges show this, that you, you can only be strong when relying on God's strength. That's how God designed it. He wants us to be dependent on him and to see our needs met in him. He wants his strength to be the story of our life. 
And yet his people continuously reject this. And when it gets to Gideon, they're so humbled by the oppression that God has allowed and turned them over to with Midian that Gideon doesn't see the strength of his weakness because he's so trembling under the weakness of his weakness. And when it gets to this time where God visits Gideon, he's trembling in fear. And it's interesting what it says here. I want to read verse 12 again. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, first of all, when it says the angel of the Lord, it's, let's stop there and talk about who, what is the angel of the Lord? Lots of theologians who will study this scripture believe that this is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ himself, appearing to Gideon just like he did to Abraham before. This is Jesus before he put skin on and got born. He is appearing to him. It even says verse verse 12 when it says the angel of the Lord, it really just means uh, the original language, messenger of the Lord. And in verse 16, it literally just says, the Lord said to him. So it describes the person talking to him as just the Lord himself. It uses the divine name for the Lord. And so it is Jesus talking to Midian, or to, to Gideon, about the Midianites. And it's interesting what he says. Jesus himself goes to him, and it, you would think that he's being sarcastic, right? Verse 12, he says, he says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. It's kind of like when I say something stupid growing up, and my brother, it, it almost sounds like I say something stupid, and my brother's saying, Oh, that's real smart, Einstein. Because if I'm not being smart and you call me smart, I would think you're mocking me. And when a dude is being fearful, trembling, not a whole lot of mighty men, in val- mighty men of valor tend to tremble in fear, hiding themselves in wine presses. But that's where the Lord finds Gideon. He's hiding in a wine press. And I, I would have thought, Gideon must have thought, hey man, don't pick on me. Look, man, I'm going through some hard stuff right now. Don't, don't mess with me. I have some issues right now. But the Lord was serious. Jesus comes and affirms him and says, you are a mighty man of valor. And this is important to know. There is power in divine affirmation. When God calls you something, it doesn't matter what you think of yourself. It doesn't matter what, what you're elementary school teacher thinks you are. It doesn't matter what your parents said you are if they don't agree with Holy Scripture and what Jesus says about you. You are more than what you think about yourself. And when God calls you something, even if you're not even living that truth out, there's power in Him affirming you. When God calls something a thing, that thing will be that thing because there's power in His words. There's functional power in the affirmation of the Lord. And this is so important, y'all. Because if you're weak, but God calls you strong, you'll be strong. If you're unqualified, but God calls you qualified, you're qualified. You can stamp that on your resume. When God appoints you and he affirms you and he tells you you're strong, there's strength literally effectually from his words. And that's what God's doing when he goes to Gideon and he says, O mighty man of valor. Verse 14, it says, The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours 
Again, it sounds sarcastic, but he's being serious. Go in this might of yours into the land of Midian. Do I not send you? Verse 15, Gideon is still obsessed with his own view of himself. He says, please, Lord, how do I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of a very weak tribe in Israel, and I am the least of my father's house. You see, Gideon is meditating on his own lowly view of himself. Look, humility is not just thinking about yourself as small. I've heard one guy say, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Because when you think more about God and about his word and about what he says of you, you're not going to think of yourself as small. You're going to think of him as so big that if you're related to him, that no matter what anyone else says about you or how low you think you are, you're affirmed. You're not puffed up with pride, but you're also not down on the ground. You know that you're of more worth than you can ever imagine. Because he calls you strong. The problem is, is Gideon for a minute is so obsessing over his low view of himself that he is not able to have faith and to see the strength, not in his own power, but the strength of faith. So here's the Lord's response to him. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Isn't it interesting? The Lord doesn't say, you aren't any of those things. You're not weak. You're strong, champ. You're special. Your elementary school teacher even gave you a sticker. No, he's saying... Hey, you are kind of a mess, but I'm with you. This is one of my favorite things. Psalm 23, it says, Though I walk through the the valley of the shadow of death, yet I'm a pretty good guy. I did pretty good on my homework. Or I'm, I'm a pretty good husband. I'm way better than that other really. No, it says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. God is saying, it doesn't matter if all, all the things on earth are waged against you and you're weak and, you, and you're not super, super special in, your, in and of yourself. It doesn't matter if you're weak. If I'm with you, you're strong. It doesn't matter if everyone in the world is against you. Jesus and you is a majority. That's what he's saying. He's saying you're not strong in and of yourself. You're strong because I'm with you. I will be with you. Gideon was having some trouble seeing that. God was wanting Gideon to know that he can be strong because of his relationship, his connection to the strong one. And then God calls him out to save Israel. Now this seems unlikely to say the least. God wanted him to do something that was impossible for an army to do any less one man. Now this here too is a theme in the whole Bible. God calls you to do things that you cannot do unless he's with you. If you have your life organized around things that you're confident that you can accomplish on your own, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not in the will of God. If you know exactly your plans, how many kids you're going to have, how easy it's going to be, how your degree plan will lead to a certain retirement plan, you are outside of the will of God. God wants you to have strength in faith. God wants you to do things that are impossible if it's not a miracle that accompanies you. And you know what? Maybe he's sent you impossible circumstances just to show you that. Maybe it's not the devil 
Maybe it's God wanting to strengthen you. And maybe you've called out to him. You're saying, God, rescue me. And you've prayed, God, move in this situation. And maybe like Gideon, you're wanting God to move for you, but you're reluctant to see him move through you. And that's the hard part. God wants to move for you by moving through you. And we, it's hard for us to want God to move through us, right? We might want to receive the credit on the back end for him having moved through us, but on the front end, us going through the hardship and the pain and the strengthening process that develops faith, that's a lot harder of a question. There were a lot of Israelites in this day crying out for the, to be rescued, but there weren't a whole lot of people signing up to be rescuers. There weren't a whole lot of Davids lining up and saying, I have my sling ready. God is powerful enough. Use me. Send me to battle the giant. There, was, there were just people like Gideon, not ready to see God strengthen them by moving through them. Now, has this ever happened to you? Where you pray like Gideon for God to rescue you from something in your life, a, a difficult job, a difficult friend, a hard marriage issue. And God is wanting to answer your prayer, but right around when you start catching wind, that he wants to answer your prayer by using you or changing you, you kind of get the take backsies, right? Like, wait, I take that back. I actually want this. And God's like, nope, I want this. I want to change you. I want to move through you. I want to show my strength in your weakness. That's how he strengthens you. True discipleship is taking that risk and following Jesus to where only he gets the credit for the strength that he builds in you. Your job is to believe him. And there are plenty of alternatives. There are plenty of subtle ways that you can try to be strong in other ways, but are just lies. I love what Tim Keller, again, he says. He says, it's not our lack of strength that prevents us from enjoying God's blessing. It's our lack of faith in God's strength that prevents us from enjoying God's blessing. God calls us to be strong in our weakness. And nevertheless, for Gideon to step out in faith required some reassurance. How many of y'all ever need reassurance that God's speaking to you, that he's, he's strengthening you? We get to the end of chapter 6 here, uh, verse 36. And Gideon said to God, well, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said, behold, I'm going to lay a fleece of wool out. And he, he proceeds to test God. And he says, God, if this is really you speaking to me, then when I wake up tomorrow, let this be completely wet, this wool and everything around it dry. And so that's what God did. And then the next day he says, okay, now do the opposite. Make it be completely dry and everything around it wet. See, this is important here. He's wanting reassurance. Everybody say reassurance. Thank you for your help. He wants reassurance that God's speaking to him. Now it's important to know that for centuries and generations before Gideon, God wasn't speaking to anyone. And in fact, the Israelites were worshiping other gods that could have been mistaken for the rain or the, the dry weather. And people were worshiping gods that these other things could have been taking credit. Gideon's friends could have told him, oh, well, if it, was, if it was God just blessing you with rain, then it's the rain God. 
But Gideon wanted to see something that was outside of the supernatural or outside of the, the natural realm so only a supernatural God could get credit. He, wanted to, he was seeking God's heart just to know, is this the God that's sending me out to do the impossible things? Now, this is important for us today because sometimes you hear people that refer to, to Judges 6 and they say things like, I'm fleecing God about my job. Well, one important difference here, I won't spend too much time on this, but this is important if you're going to step out in the strength of faith. One reason Gideon had to fleece God is because Gideon didn't have a lot of the things that we have. There was silence in Gideon's life. Gideon wasn't looking for how-tos about his life. He was looking for, is this you, God? But we know who God is. God has revealed himself in Scripture. We have the Bible, and Gideon didn't have the Bible. God still speaks prophetically, but it's to affirm what we already know is set and solid. The Holy Scripture is revealed. And so when you fleece God about something about a lesser thing, I'm not going to correct you about how you use your words, but I'm going to just tell you, we have a means of grace in the Bible, in the communion of saints, in the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit, and it all goes together. We don't have to wonder who God is. God has revealed himself in Scripture and confirmed it by resurrecting Jesus from the dead. So we still need affirmation from God, but the miracles are to confirm what we already know is revealed about him, okay? So when you step out in faith, we have something better than Gideon. God with Gideon was wanting to do what would have been impossible for Gideon or anyone else to ever take credit for on his own. And as it goes forward in these next few chapters, it gets ridiculous. Not only can an army not defeat the Midianites, but God's calling Midian to defeat them in the most strange of ways. And after reassuring him in chapter 6, he in chapter 7, I'll just, I'll just share with you what happens in chapter 7. It's the most bizarre thing. Gideon, his very small tribe of a, of a nation itself that's already smaller than Midian, the very small tribe of these clans, he could get 30,000 people assembled to go against the Midianites. One would think that's not enough. God doesn't like the numbers, but it's not what you might think. God thought there were too many people, not too few. Remember, the theme of, of what we're looking at is God wants to show that only his strength can we rely on for our hope. And so he's saying, I don't want anyone to boast in anything but me. And he tells Gideon, tell everyone who's afraid to go home. Most of them go home. Tens of thousands of men go right up, like, I don't want to mess with this stuff. And so God arbitrarily has another test point. He says, there's still too many. And he says, have the men go down and drink of the water. Any man who laps up water like a dog and just drinks water like this, any of those, I'll get those keys later. Any man who laps up water like a dog as opposed to having a little bit of dignity and drinking it like a man, those men, the dog drinking water men, those are my men right there. Now, I've heard a lot of different preachers say some silly things about maybe whatever reason it was that, that God chose those men. Look, I don't think there's any good reason. I think it might, it might be that God's just saying, look, not only can I defeat Midian with one man or just a few hundred, I can defeat it with weird like, men that drink water like dogs. 
That's how powerful I am. I'm strong in your weakness. And what about that moment where you want to hide from people? That, in, in essence, that embarrassing part of your life where, in essence, you are drinking water like a dog. Those embarrassing things about you, God can use that to defeat your enemies. That's how strong he is. Only he will get the boast of what he's doing. In fact, this next chapter, I'll paraphrase this for you too, is one of the most amazing ways, the way God defeats the Midianite army is pretty incredible. I'll just say, spoiler alert, you can read this on your own time, but I'll spoil it for you now. God defeats them without a single sword of Israel ever going into a Midianite person. The Midianites are encamped against Israel. And we know from from other sources that they had rotations of three different camps. And in the middle of the night, Gideon and his 300 men had torches that they covered with bowls or jars. And they went out against the camp when they were switching the, the watch of the night. Some of the Midianites were going back to camp. Some of them were waking up, stumbling, a little bit confused, going out to the watch. And in the middle of all this, Gideon and his men are marching out there and God tells them to do weird things like uncover the torches, scream loud, crazy things, blow the trumpets. In essence, in the middle of all this hysteria, the people waking up probably couldn't discern the difference between their own men coming back from the watch of the night and enemies attacking them. And what they did is they attacked themselves. And Midianites started killing themselves and God defeated Midian through Gideon and a word of knowledge that he gave them about how to defeat the enemy. God is strongest even in your weakness. No matter what things encamp against you, encamp against your family, that would stand against you and curse you and tell you things about you that the Bible doesn't say about you. No matter how much you've been going against all the time, the same sin issues, the same habits, God is powerful enough to defeat the enemy, no matter how strong you feel he is. The problem, though, the sad part, is that even after this victory, Gideon should have known that God, the boast of his life, is his strength in the midst of his weakness. The boast of glory, but unfortunately, all too soon, even as it gets right into chapter 8, right after the defeat, instead of being confident in the strength of his weakness, he starts to be controlled by the delusion of the weakness in his strength or his perceived strength. That's my second point. And this is where it gets really sad here. They're coming back from having defeated Midian, seeing God do what only he could do. And yet verse four, verse four and five says, Gideon came to Jordan, crossed over, he and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted, yet pursuing the kings of the Midianites. And so he said to the men of Sukkoth, some of his people, the Israelites that did not go out with him, please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me. Notice how he said, there's the seas of it. The people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. Now, this is a pretty simple command, right? He's just requesting some help. He's, he's asking for some recompense, some food. But what you'll see is, from the verses later, he actually thinks he's entitled to what they would give him. He thinks that he's the one who defeated the Midianites. 
And listen, the danger of success in your life and mine, what if God's not giving you that thing that you think you want now because he knows you can't handle it yet? Gideon had that success he was looking for and he too quickly started to take credit for it. Instead of being God-affirmed, he started being dangerously self-affirmed. And he thought he had rights to these things. And you'll see it by this interchange that follows. Seemingly simple request, give us some bread. Here's what the, the, the people respond rudely to him. And you know, people have been rude to me before. But by the grace of God, I don't respond how Gideon does. Verse 6, the officials of Sukkot said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zamuna already in your hand? That we should give bread to your army? Kind of rude, kind of irreverent, not really grateful. But listen to Gideon's response, verse 7. So Gideon said, well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zamuna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with thorns of the wilderness and with briars. That's a little graphic. Kind of like, what? Like, dude went nuts for a minute. In fact, verse 13 They actually caught the the kings of Midian and then they come back on his own little boasting spree. Verse 13, Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned home from battle to the ascent of Harry's and he captured a young man of Sukkoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and elders of Sukkoth, 77 men. It's about to get crazy here. And he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me saying, give him into our hands and we'll give you bread for your men. Verse 16, And then he took the elders of the city and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars with them and taught the men a lesson. And he brought down, broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. In a moment, not only has Gideon forgotten about the true strength through faith in the midst of his weakness, he has started to think himself strong and thus become weakened by his own pride. And the seeds of that get worse and worse and worse. And all of a sudden he's murdering entire cities. And it might seem outrageous, but the same seeds of pride and sin and danger face you and I every day. Only because of a merciful God would he allow us to to be weak so that we could be strong in weakness. And he's after your heart more than anything. Has there been times in your life where you felt weakened? And maybe it's God that wants to save you from the weakness of your strength? So that maybe it's not the devil against you. Maybe it's God ordaining the circumstances to weaken you, to take your numbers down from 37,000 mighty reasons to boast in yourself down to 300 dog water licking reasons to boast in the Lord. And maybe it's not just the devil that's against you, but God who wants to strengthen you with his strength and diminish you to just your only hope to lean on is him. Maybe that's the greatest blessing, and it hurts. God will share his glory with none other, he says. 
And here you have Gideon, who has forgotten what is made so clear in Psalm 147, that God, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those whose hope is in his steadfast love. You see, success, success in your life can give way to a brutal kind of danger. You know, because there's a subtle tendency in the midst of your success to think that, to agree with this delusion that it's you who've earned his blessing, that you're the one who's pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps instead of understanding that it's God who strengthens you, who feeds you, who gives you food, who gives you family, who gives you forgiveness, who gives you air to breathe, who gives you strength in knowing that. Success can be a vicious danger. It's what Gideon forgot. And Gideon failed. Now, before Gideon, there was a certain pattern in Judges where you could see a pattern where God would raise up uh, Uh, an army against Israel to judge them for their sin. Israel would cry out to God. God would send them a judge or a deliverer. And it said for a time until Deborah died or until Ehud died or any of these judges before him, for a time they enjoyed peace in the land. And then that judge died and then they returned to evil. But chapter eight or nine, right after Gideon, right around here is, is where this pattern changes. Because at the end of Gideon's life, in the midst of his rampage of his own weakness because of his own perceived strength, there is no peace in the land because of Gideon. In fact, it's just the opposite. One of Gideon's sons, one of his 40-something sons, goes and murders the rest of the sons, and it just gets worse and worse from here. How much is that like our life? If, If we go on a rampage of our own strength, how much destruction is waiting for us if we obsess over our own success. Perhaps God rescuing you from what you think you need to prove about your own success and your own career and not giving you what you want about your life, your relationships, that thing that you have to prove, maybe him giving you weakness and his own nearness is the greatest mercy that you could receive. Because listen, Gideon failed. And when you pass up strength for weakness and you go for weakness in your strength, you end up in failure. And that brings me to my final point, salvation in your failure. Now, even though the book of Hebrews talks about some of these men in Judges that you know, they, they slayed armies. The, the book of Hebrews honors some of these men, but it's not because they're good role models. Let's be clear on that. It's because of faith. The strength of faith is the only thing that we can have a boast over. The Bible, and especially Judges, is not a book about good role models unless you're talking about Jesus. You're not, you're, you're not, like you like me, left to yourself, are not a good role model. But the hope for you is in the midst of your failures, there's salvation. I just got back from a funeral in California. My aunt died, and 
she loved Jesus, and she wanted me to preach. And I went out and I preached at her funeral. And what is it about funerals that you, hear, you see some of the most false hopes glorified? False strength, false hope. And have you ever been there like me? You're at a funeral and you're kind of looking around after a while about talking about this guy. They're blowing this dude's life out of proportion. And you're just thinking like, did I come to the wrong dude's funeral here? Like, I think I knew this guy, but this is not that guy. And there's all this false hope in a funeral. That's not going to be my funeral. I am going to script my own funeral. My kids are going to make sure that I am not the star of my funeral. Jesus is. My kids are going to say, honestly, you know what? Till the day my dad died, he had some thorough flaws. He was thoroughly flawed man. In fact, he had fits of impatience and forgetful streaks. But one thing he never forgot was his need for Jesus. There's salvation in your failure. There's strength in your weakness. Don't take the lies of the alternatives. Where does your hope stand? Does it stand in your own ability to orchestrate your own life? To be strong? To, to plan things out the best you can? Oh, that God would give you mercy by showing you the failure of that so you could see the salvation of his power right where you are. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to invite you all up. We're going to sing this song. Let's stand to our feet. I want us, I want you to do this. Would you pray and ask God as we sing this last song, ask him to show you and expose things in your heart that you're placing your hope in. Maybe it's a career aspiration, a relationship, a provisional need that you maybe are placing a lot of your hope in that thing to answer the big question of your life. Ask God to just show you what maybe you're potentially being weakened by and ask him to, to, to give an exchange. And I'm going to tell you right now, whatever he's saying, make the exchange right now. If you've never fully given your life to Jesus, you can right now, even as we're praying and singing these songs, say, God, I place my life in your hands. I place my hope in your hands. My, ask is, my request is that all of us, no matter what we place our faith in, would exchange ourselves for a greater strength and a greater hope. Meditate on that as we sing this last song and I'll come back up and close.